Bazavali. Oh, hey, Patrick Hines. Hey, you guys. Thanks for joining us for episode two of our coverage of The Disappearance of Maura Murray. Once again, you guys, our live show covering this doc in a completely different way than we did in this audio format is this Saturday, July 31st, 2021 at the iconic Wilbur Theater in Boston. We're being joined by Lance and Tim and Maggie who are featured in the doc. Girl, are you excited? I'm thrilled. And I'm also, I mean, what a journey we've all had. But when we were oh, covering this, the, the six-part series, by the way, we barely knew them. I mean, we didn't know them at all, Lance and Tim and no, Maggie. they weren't our friends and we knew nothing about them. And then we were like, do you want to do a live show with us about this thing that we talked about? And they were like, absolutely. <laughs> then we did it years ago. Now we're doing it yeah. again. It's like we're getting the band back together. I cannot I wait. All right, get your tickets, truecrimeobsessed.com. Click on the CS Live link. We'll see you Saturday night at the iconic Wilba Theater. I mean, I, I would have FOMO if I didn't go. I'm just saying. I, know. I don't want to put, I don't want to like project or deflect or yeah. whatever it is, but I would feel FOMO. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to hear my working theory? Aliens! Listen, hear me out. Okay. It can only be aliens at this point. Can I tell you something? Yeah. Can I open up to you a little bit? Yeah. I had a fear when I was little because some asshole put this in my head when I was like eight years old. Uh-huh. The idea that humans can spontaneously combust. <gasps> so it's either aliens or spontaneous combustion. <laughs> Maggie, what do you think? <laughs> Scale of one to ten. Somewhere in the middle. We don't know where she is. We don't know where she was going. And we don't know what happened to her. UMass college student hasn't been seen since she crashed on Route 112 in Woodsville. A witness saw her walking away from the accident. She was going to graduate into a nursing career. She was a role model for me. Such a driven individual. She didn't deserve any harm. (laughs) Where is Maura Murray? What happened to her? How does a person disappear when there's three people watching? Do you wish you had gone back? Sometimes I think that I may have disappeared too. Fred, what do you think happened tomorrow? Guy grabbed her and killed her. It makes you think that this is a serial killer. I think Mora found out she was pregnant. I'd like to think maybe she escaped. She wanted to start her new life somewhere. Mara, we knew, was completely different than what's come up in all of these theories. Sure enough, I started peeling back the layers, and I found all these secrets. It sounded like she was crying, and she mentioned something about her sister. Why are you upset with the police? I think they're hiding something. None of the police contacted me, and I'm her sister. You cannot trust anybody. Her family, policemen, people who were on the scene. What did you do, mister? You will become obsessed with this case. If you haven't already, you will. This is a last-ditch attempt to solve this case, and I just want to find the truth. Potentially, this could be the last piece of evidence that could help us link anything to Maura Murray's case. I really think you can find her. Did you see her freeze? That's the longest time you ever sat for a stakeout. What the hell is this? There he is. That's him. What's he running from? He f***ing knows. Where is my daughter? All right, Disappearance of Maura Murray, our episode two. Right. But we're starting with episode four. It's called Code of Silence. Oh, God. <laughs> Basically, we're back with that EMT dick guy. Right. Real name. His yeah, real name. I, I know. Real name. <laughs> 
We're talking about the rag in the tailpipe. I'm so new to this. So I'm every as much as I'm just like oxygen. Can I know. you calm down? <laughs> Everything I'm like. Wait, the what? Oh my god, we're back to the rag in the tailpipe. Oh my god, of course. It's so insane. And so Maggie's like, Dick Guy isn't the only person concerned about the rag. And in my notes, in all caps, I'm like, I should hope not. This is insane. <laughs> I'm Regis Feldman. This is insane. And then we proceeded to look around the car, and my partner says, "What's with the rag in the exhaust pipe?" I'm like, wow, what is that? I wondered if she might have stopped at the store maybe half a mile before and somebody had sabotaged her car trying to make it stall. And the thing is, here's what I love. No spoilers, everybody. But the thing about it, as we're covering three episodes, yeah. in these four minutes, I'm super invested in this one thing. Uh-huh. And then by the end of it, I'm like, fuck that rag. Who cares? <laughs> but in, well, my, in my notes, all caps with all the exclamation points, I'm like, this is insane. Well, best thing, I love that Oxygen's got money. Because oh. they like they go and find local mechanic Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, poor Maggie, her narration given to her by the producers was yes. just like, he has an expert knowledge of early model Saturns, just like Mora's. <laughs> He's a mechanic. (laughs) There's no expertise in like early model Saturns. A car is a car is a car. He's got like an exact replica of the car up on like whatever you call those things that you put a car on and make it go in the air. That thing. Yeah, the thing that goes. uh, Yes. He like stuffs a rag in the tail. They're like this scientific experiment. They stuff a rag in the tailpipe. They've got some guy in the car on the car stilts or whatever. Can you bring the RPMs up to about 2,000, please? Wasn't long at all. Kill it. The rag gets blown out of the tailpipe in two seconds. Yeah, they try to recreate it, and it's like, and a five, oh, they can't even do the count off of the five, six, seven, eight, and it's out on the floor. And it's just like, it's like this awesome shot of, in my mind at least, of the the rag like like flying out, and then it's like Maggie and Art, their eyes together watch it, and then just like, we see it on the floor, and it lands right perfectly in front of their feet. And then we just get a shot up at Maggie and Art being like, well, I guess we're off to our next dead end. Here's the thing, though. It was Fred that told Maura to stuff the rag in the tailpipe. Because Maggie Maggie and Art are just like, who told her to put the rag in there and why? Right. And Fred's like, me. Right, I know, like, I know. Hand, like, hands up, girl, I did. <laughs> And here's why. And then gives a story where I'm like, I'm sorry, what? He's telling his daughter, like, look, you're driving this jalopy. (laughs) What does jalopy mean? I don't know. It's from Archie Comics. It's like an old, like, take my old jalopy. You know that old song from the 40s? Whatever. It's a shitty car. She crashes every car she's ever been in, apparently, from what I've learned. I'm new to the case. But so Fred was like, hey, girl, don't drive the car Uh at all. Please don't drive it. It's going to fail on you and you might crash it again. But if you do have to drive it, you have to put a rag in the tailpipe. Because if you see the police, you have to get by them. Because if the police see you, they'll see it smoking like, and the police will pull you over and then you'll get in more trouble. But here's the thing. This has to be a lie. Because based on this very scientific test we just did, Uh the only way the rag could have been in the tailpipe would be if somebody put it in after the car stalled. Because if it had been in the tailpipe while the car was at a cruising speed, it would it have never been blown out. Right. Yeah. And it's Based all... on this very unscientific test. 100%. Fred, I'm, I'm, girl, I'm on your side. So then what's the point? Like, I don't why know. is he. It... No, it was aliens. And it's like, absolutely. Now I'm just like, but wasn't it? Because, <laughs> like, so Mora would have to get out of the car after she had crashed, get this rag that she had, like, in case. <laughs> 
and in front of these seven witnesses, put the rag in. Like, wouldn't that be suspicious too? Like, it does, nothing then, about this makes sense. We also have three episodes to get to, and we're five minutes into the first one. Okay, great. <laughs> So this is where we get, like, uh, once again, Fred didn't have a great relationship with the cops. We know this. Right. Right. Even I know that. Fred felt like the police were not pursuing Morris' case properly or sharing enough information with him. So he sued the state of New Hampshire in 2006. State investigators have amassed 2,500 documents in connection with Maura Murray's case. Fred Murray's attorney says keeping the file secret is against the law. His lawsuit went all the way to New Hampshire's Supreme Court. The state won. The police can't give out the evidence. It's an open case. And they need to preserve the evidence so that when they do find the killer, if God forbid she's actually dead, which you guys she is, then if she was murdered, they need to be able to like have the killer tell them things only the killer would know. Listen, I understand where Fred is coming from. I actually think that Fred is way less crazy than I would be. Oh no, you would be off the rails, sweetheart. (laughs) You would be like I'd be living in the vodka wine cooler factory. And I'd be right there with you, but holding your hand, pulling you back, girl. Don't (laughs) So Maggie has submitted a request to talk to the cops. This is a big deal because the cops have never talked. Yeah, they stonewall everybody. Because they're cops and they have to. So Assistant District Attorney Jeff Strelson agrees to sit down with them. He never does interviews. He's been on the case since day one. And apparently, according to Reddit, he's why the cops stay silent. And the whole idea is that the cops are like covering, they botched the investigation or they were in on the murder and they're covering for each other. Strelson is here to set the goddamn record straight. So he's like, (laughs) hey girls, Here's the deal. We don't know anything. We don't know where she is. We don't know where she's going. We don't know what happened. We've done tests. We've talked to psychics. We've done it all. It's true. I have nothing for you. Oxygen, pay me. Pay me my day rate. I honestly think that Strelzen sees this as an opportunity to put some of this shit to bed. You know, the idea that what the local police did something to Maura Murray, what is that based on? People want answers. They don't, they don't like loose ends, so they start to point fingers. I get it. But that's not evidence. My question for them is, well, what in particular did they do wrong? That's not what happened here. No. Right. The cops are the bad guys in this instance. Not today. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, you guys, it's the 13th anniversary. First of all, we meet this guy, John Smith. Can we also have a new word that's not anniversary? Yeah. Anniversary seems really... Um, Celebratory? Like yeah. not, it, it seems like not the right word. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah, love yeah. to have a different... I don't, I don't have an option. Right. I have nothing to contribute. I just wish we don't have to call it that. So, we meet this guy, John Smith, who apparently I just blocked on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So, John Smith... Real name? Yeah, question mark? yeah. He basically is a cop from 20 years ago. Yeah, and he's a local New Hampshire resident, and he wants to help. And he's got like the blessing of the Murray family. Exactly. So he's working with them. Quick question that is not addressed: mm-hmm. Why is he not a cop anymore? That I don't know. Uh, so the cops were just like, "Hey, knock, knock, knock. Hey, John, could you not mess with this?" They said, "Look, you're interfering with an investigation. If if you continue, we will arrest you." So. To me, that's telling. It's, it's, there's something there that, that they didn't want me to know. And that's what drove me. The Murray family gives him his blessing, but the cops were like, can you stop meddling? And he actively said, no, I'm going to keep meddling. You know, usually people will say, like, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Uh-huh. He is very much on, like, the cops are totally behind this. Right. They screwed everything up. And it's like, even if you end up being right in the end, yeah. during the, the journey of the story, I'm always going to be like, mm, if you're so a zillion percent on one side I, and you're not going to budge, that makes me go, mm. I totally agree because you get one track minded. 
side. Yeah. yeah. And it's how people get falsely convicted, by right. the way. Where, like, you have a story and then you just get the evidence to match the story you want. So, can we take a quick break here and talk about James Renner? So, we we came pretty hard for James Renner in our last we episode. Sure did. We thought his theory was pretty bonkers. Mm-hmm. James Renner reached out to us, like, yeah. via email the second our episode dropped. Look, did you know that James Renner was a listener? No, apparently James Renner, according to his email, is a listener. Which is... Yeah, we fucked up. We said that he said something in his book that he says he didn't say. Mm-hmm. We didn't read the book. I went back through. I took it out. I emailed him back. I said, James, we covered the documentary. They said you said this. Whatever. Uh-huh. I'll take it out. Doesn't matter. He ended up being super sweet. And yeah. he said that he's like a longtime listener. We're totally having a drink at CrimeCon. He's mm-hmm. sending us his book, which I'm totally going to read. 100%. My, my point here is just like, we're being a little hard on John Smith. Guys, we covered the documentary. And that's the thing that that we said back to James Renner. Like, yeah. look, we were just quoting in hyperbole right. what Maggie and what Art were saying. We make a comedy podcast. We know the Maura Murray case is serious. It's why we wanted to cover it, give yeah. it more airtime. We think what whatever happened to her is really tragic, and I hope they get to the bottom of it. We're kind of just making fun of the Oxygen series. Yes. It's a reality show. Right. <laughs> anyway, Renner, can't wait to meet you. Yeah. Thanks girl. for listening. Uh, we drink double vodka sodas. <laughs> yes. See you at CrimeCon, sweetheart. <laughs> So, John mentions Witness A. Listen, this Oxygen series, love it or hate it, they get a lot of people who've never talked before to talk. And that's pretty significant. So, we hear about this Witness A, right? And she's a person who apparently has, like, existed in the lore of the Maura Murray case forever. And basically, her story is that she was driving from work home to her house. It's like a 40-minute drive, and she takes that exact same road that Maura was on. So, we know that there's no cell service on that road. She passes Maura's car, and she sees... A police SUV marked mm-hmm. 001, nose to nose with Maura's car. Right. It didn't even look like an accident to me. What it actually looked like is she had driven her car onto the wrong side of the road, and it was just up against a snowbank. I don't remember seeing any people standing in the cars or whatever. I, I don't remember seeing any anybody there. Here's the thing. Based on when she got cell service back and she made a phone call, if you do quick math, her story does not add up with the official story. No. Which is that 725, Mora has the accident. 727, like two minutes later, Faith Westman, one of the witnesses, calls 911. 746, Cecil Smith is the cop. He's the first to arrive on the scene. Right. But based on witness A's cell phone records, when she drove by Mora's car, it would have been about seven minutes before Cecil Smith was apparently the first person on the scene. Yeah. And she sees this SUV. So you're telling me that there are more questions than answers? <laughs> <laughs> and get this. The person who was known to drive the SUV was the chief. His name was Jeff Williams. Here's something we learned about Ms. Williams. Oh, look. Apparently, she liked to drive the, the SUV drunk from time to you time. You know how I feel about that garbage. <laughs> Could the chief have caused Mora's accident? Or did he stumble onto Mora in the aftermath of her crash, playing some role in her disappearance? So that's witness A's significance, is that she calls into question the timeline of, like, Cecil Smith being the first to arrive at 747. Right. And and the whole point here is that, like, because the police also won't give any interviews and they won't talk and they won't share their information, it's just more fodder for, like, the police are covering something up. Right. So this episode ends with Maggie getting to talk to Cecil Smith. This, again, if you followed the Maura Murray case at all, is, is a big deal. Because Cecil Smith has never been able to grant an interview. Cecil Smith drops a bomb, and it's how the episode ends. Did you ever talk to the family, any of the family members? I did. Fred, I explained it to him, and he said, well, you know, she had an accident a couple days ago. She's all depressed. You know, she might have done the old squaw. Like, 
<laughs> What's that? Well, you know, you're depressed and you go out in the woods, you step off the trail and you die. <laughs> Hello. The old squaw. <laughs> Which is, look, I actually had a dog do this and you it's did? horrible. Oh, God. Uh, when an animal, like, knows they're about to die and so they go into the woods to die. Oh. So Cecil's like, when I heard that, I was like, hello. <laughs> and that's how, see, that's how episode four ends. And I'm like, but it's because it's basically Cecil saying that like Fred said yeah like she was going through a rough time she might have just like wandered off a trail to go die maybe she was suicidal right so now we're back to another we get like 10 Fred interviews in these episodes yeah yeah and Maggie has like just learned about the squaw walk and so she's like Fred (laughs) what's with that (laughs) and he is he's like Thank you for asking. Right. That was a ridiculous thing for me to say. Uh-huh. I was I never should have said it. I don't believe it. I just I just said it. Right. And I'm like, so you said that in the thing with the rag, huh? I know. <laughs> I'm just confused. And it's no shade. It's just it's a lot of confusing things. Right. All at once it feels. <laughs> anyway, you'd have found her. How are you gonna commit suicide and not be found, you know? It would Two feet of snow on the ground. Everybody forgets the two feet of snow. Right. You know, there would be footprints in the snow. So, you guys, we got to sit down with Jeff Williams. Remember, he was the chief of police or whatever that was... 001, SUV yeah. 001. Exactly. He's no longer with the police force. He's got some big job. It's his first interview ever. And remember, the, the rumor around town was that he was known to drive his SUV drunk. Mm-hmm. So Maggie sits down and Maggie's like... The first thing she says to him is like, I'm sure you've heard the rumors about you. I'm sure that there's some things you'd like to clear up. And he's like, what girl? He's like, I don't know her gift. He's like, I don't. You know, we know you probably have a lot to say about some accusations, rumors out there about yourself. You know, I'm sure you've heard some of those. You know, actually very limited. Um, I'm not a big social media guy. So Maggie's like, girl, let me fill you in. What has been going around the internet is that a woman who has been called Witness A drove by the scene earlier than 7.46 when Cecil responded and says she saw SUV 001 at the scene. So the idea out there is that SUV 001 was your vehicle, that you possibly had something to do with Maura's disappearance. And he honestly, really, his face is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, LOL, girl, you think I was given a car? (laughs) You think they were, like, giving out, like, fancy SUVs? And and Maggie even says, like, all the cop stories match up, so just before we move forward, she doesn't think they were involved. It's not some big cover-up. Right. They're just doing their goddamn jobs. Right, and the thing is, they have to zip their traps because it's the biggest case ever now at this point. Reddit is going bananas. They're not going to give anybody a little breadcrumb. Right. No. Right. Kitchen is closed. All right, this guy, Todd Borgatis, shows up. I feel like he's actually going to give us some answers. A 24-year veteran with New Hampshire Fish and Game. He was the supervisor in charge of the official search for Mora, which commenced a day and a half after she vanished. How many search and rescue missions have you done? I'd say I've been participating and managing in the hundreds. Wow. And how many of those are still outstanding missing people? There's still two that are uh, unfounded. And Mora is one of them? Um, she is. Basically, when you put this guy in a case and you want him to like go find the body or find the person, he finds them. We search the immediate area, and then we had them cone out and go several miles away from the area. That helicopter is also equipped with a FLIR unit, which is forward-looking infrared. So had she been out there and giving off any heat signal, they would have been able to pick that up. After covering probably 10 miles distance, 
the end result was we had no human foot tracks uh, going into the woodlands off of the roadways that were not either cleared or accounted for. At the end of that day, the consensus was she did not leave the roadway. The theory that she like walked into the woods and died by accident or on purpose is kind of debunked here. I mean, he says there were no human footprints. Right. At all. Also, the, a significant thing that happened on that very first day, they, they got a bloodhound. It was the day after she disappeared. The bloodhound traced her scent up to the nearest intersecting road where it stops. That dog who did run a track off the crash site, he actually did it twice. And each time he ran a track from the crash site, it ended at the intersection of Bradley Hill Road. Um, which is just within sight of the crash site. It's possible she may have been picked up by a vehicle there. And then 10 days after the first search, they did another search with cadaver pups. Right. And they did more and more searches with more and more dogs, and the dogs weren't finding anything in the woods. Yeah, exactly. Wait, wait, so we're ready to talk about Deb, Ash, and Heather Schaefer? Basically, they have this company where they, like, provide the dogs that search for cadavers and live people. It's called Canine Alert Search Teams. Look, I've never felt more seen when Maggie (laughs) was like, I know you you have working dogs. So let's meet the dogs. Can I pet them? Yes, you may. Oh, cutest. Hi, you're Angus. When I meet Maggie, I'm going to wear my shirt that says, tell your dog I said hi. Oh, yes. So Angus, you think I don't I didn't write this all down. <laughs> so Angus tracks live scents. Yes. And Aizen tracks oh, dead bodies. I know. He's the cadaver pup. I know. So they're here to basically recreate what would have happened if Maura had like gone and perished in the woods or if she like walked up the street and got in another car. And I love how Deb and Heather are like explaining this to Art and Maggie and the oxygen. And yeah. like our, our boys, the best boys ever, these little puppers are just like, get to work, you goddamn hippies. Like, we just want to go. They are just running around with their little vests on. They're like, can we just do this thing? It's true. Stop the yapping. Well, we learned that, like, and this is, like, really good information. If Mora had died in the woods, like, for basically up to three months, her body would be giving off, like, a real serious odor. Right. Even if the body was frozen, like, it would still be giving off an odor. A cadaver dog would find it. So they they do this test where either Deb or Heather, one of them pulls out, like, a human placenta. I said they are hiding dot, dot, dot. Placenta? Just guess how many question marks? 12, 13. I was like, Deb and Heather, do they just have placenta? Honey, can you get me a beer? It's behind the placenta. It's behind the placenta. Just move it over. Yeah. Deb has brought along a frozen human placenta for the test. If Eisen can find it, it'll demonstrate how a cadaver dog can find a corpse, even if only a small part remained. You want to do it right here? Yeah. We can use some of these branches to cover it. We're going to hide the placenta, so Eisen has to rely completely on his nose. So they're like, hey, you ready, Eisen? And search. Eisen, sweetheart. I know. He finds it in five minutes flat. (laughs) And he adorably, like, when he finds it, he's just like, and laying down. And I'm like, this is my calling. Yeah. And then the other pup. What's the other pup's name? Angus. Angus. They do the other test where they, like, they- With Maggie said. I know. I'm so jealous. (laughs) Now, it's time to test the skills of Angus, Heather's tracking dog. (laughs) Unlike a cadaver dog who is looking for a dead body, a tracking dog will follow the scent of a living person using an article of their clothing or something from the person the dog is tracking. According to the police account, I'm walking the exact path Mora took away from the crash site. And I'm going to get picked up in exactly the same spot the police tracking dog stopped when he lost Mora's scent. 
And so basically the dog tracks the scent to exactly where they said that Moore's scent was. And at the end of this, they're like, yeah, she wasn't in the woods. If she had been in the woods, the dogs would have found her. Also, There's no question about it. If no, she had no, been no. in the woods, the dogs would have found her. Also, Angus is wearing snow boots. I can't. I know. <laughs> His little snow boots, little working pups. So you guys, Moore didn't perish in the woods. She, no. I don't think she did. No, I don't think so either. She got in a car. Uh, yeah, For I, better I, or worse, she got in a car. I, yeah, every option is horrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's just like, so, so she didn't perish in the woods, which is great that maybe she didn't have like hypothermia or something. Right, yeah. But that means that we're left with something also truly horrifying. Uh-huh. So you know who agrees with us about our theory that she, like, she probably was abducted and murdered? Uh-huh. Maggie. Right. So Maggie goes through like all the five scenarios. It's like either she ran away, there was a police cover-up, it was suicide, she died in the woods, or they land on the most likely scenario. She got into a car with somebody and was met with foul play. She was murdered. So now we're back to John Smith, who's the the Murray family investigator slash former cop. Yeah. And he's like, look, this community is real weird. (laughs) We got a lot of creepy weirdos up in here. So your guess is as good as mine. And then he points to the Loon Mountain 3. We talked about them a little bit in the last episode. You were very excited to get into them. One of the uh, local rumors is that Maura was supposedly picked up at the vehicle by two or three guys that were headed to the mountain resort. And they grabbed her from the scene, told her that they could get her out of there, and they ended up at this party, and during the party, Maura ended up OD, and they didn't know what to do. The Loon Mountain 3 ends up being kind of a non-event in this yeah. series. Apparently, these are actual three actual people, and they know who they are. These guys were never charged. Right. So the Loon Mountain 3, it's it's kind of a non-event. Yeah, and then we we get into, like, uh, Israel Keys, who would, like, prey on people who were lost so, and then leave murder kits all over New Hampshire so this, that he could be prepared to murder at all times. Yeah, so Israel Keys is a serial killer, because that's kind of the other theory. It's like, is it possible she was picked up by a serial also, killer? Also, I'm never sleeping again. People leave murder kits so they can be ready to murder people. The most recent episode of Crime Junkie is all about Israel Keys. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Some people have, like, go bags. I know. (laughs) Murder kids. Murder kids. Never leaving my house again. No, I know. So we're going to move on to the A-frame house. Okay. It's just (laughs) all question marks. I know, I know. There's a, I mean, I I am obsessed with the A-frame house. Okay, so the A-frame house, is that, like, why is it called the A-frame house? If you look at the house, it actually looks like, it's an actual, like. Looks like a cabin. Right, but the roof comes all the way down to the ground in, like, an A shape. (gasps) Okay. I think that's why they call it the the A-frame house. It's a kind of house, I guess. So, basically, like, there are these two brothers who live in this house, and one of them, like, sort of rats out the other one. One of them came forward, this is months after Moore disappeared, and said that he believed that his brother could have something to do with the case. And he called Mr. Murray and said, I found a knife in the glove compartment that had blood on it. They ended up getting this knife to Mr. Murray, and Mr. Murray tried to give that knife to the New Hampshire State Police, and they refused it. He sent it back again, and they accepted it the second time. They take it, but they they never tell anybody if they ever tested it or they, not. They like, accept it the second time. Right. <laughs> like I don't understand. And then apparently back to the puppers. So they bring dogs to this A-frame thing, yeah. and the dogs go crazy in some closet. So the closet's kind of big. So our very handsome Mara Murray boys, Timmy and Lancey, <laughs> they made a documentary. Don't forget it's on Amazon. You can watch it. It's really good. And it's called? It's Finding Maura Murray, I think is what it's called. So they they actually get invited to go to the house for part of their documentary. And they go into this closet. And there's actual, like, blood on the wood paneling of the closet. Right. Do you think that's blood? 
I mean, more than likely, it's human blood if it's up here in this room. Right. The closet. Yeah. You know, there's not going to be a bloody deer in the closet. <laughs> we actually took wood chips from that closet, and I have those in my possession. If it's really blood they saw, could it be Mora's? Have you tested the wood chips? I haven't tested them yet, no. And Maggie's like, well, we're getting this shit tested right now. Right. Closing credits on episode five. Right. <laughs> on to episode six. Wow, we went right, we tore right through that All one. Right. <laughs> you guys, in episode six, we get a psychic and a hike through the mountains. I'm so excited. Well, look, Maggie is right there with us because it's like opening on episode six. She's like, look, question marks abound. We've hit roadblock <laughs> after roadblock after roadblock. We have nothing to lose. So why not do something, ellipsis? controversial <laughs> and I'm like Maggie girl what do you have in store pass the popcorn medium Allison Dubois has been helping solve crimes for over 20 years she's worked with police departments in Arizona as well as the Texas Rangers she's even had a TV series made based on her life experiences it's called medium art and I have invited her to New Hampshire they get the medium from the show Medium. <laughs> Not Patricia Arquette. No, the medium from Medium that right. Medium is based on. Exactly, which apparently is a real person. Her name is Alison Dubois. Alison Dubois. She, she relies on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> <laughs> Alison! You guys, that's a streetcar named Desire joke. Maggie! <laughs> Maggie got it. Maggie totally got it. All right, so Alison Dubois shows okay. up. And here's the thing. They say that, like, she didn't know anything except she was being flown into Concord, New Hampshire. And about, like, a case. About a case. Now, here's the thing, you guys. I totally Ugh. believe in this shit. So, like, I I'm not... Too. Oh, you do? I totally I do. I totally do, too. So, I'm not saying anything about Allison or anything else. But let's say Allison isn't for real. She knows that she's being flown by the Oxygen Network to New Hampshire for a missing woman. Like, it wouldn't take me more than five seconds to figure out who I'm going to go investigate. Right. She signed a contract. Right. Exactly. exactly. And a release form. I do believe that she didn't know, though, due to her own code of ethics. So your process is you know nothing about this case I know case nothing about this case. You if know? I knew something about it, I actually couldn't work it because otherwise it taints what I get when I go to a crime scene and I really want to go off of nothing and just go off of my impressions and then I convey that information to you and then you ask me either to take it further or let's go down this road, let's look at that and then I go there. So I like to start with a wave of nothing so it's pure. The first thing Allison says is like, this perp is a Ted Bundy type and I'm like... She's like unassuming, handsome, more knew this person, but he also might be a serial killer. It's just like more and more questions where uh-huh. it's like, she could be the only victim or it could be the only victim, but also she couldn't be. Your guess is as good as mine. And it's like, Ms. Dubois. I know. If you're a psychic, don't you know the question marks in this case? Well, listen, we're going to get to my thing on that in just a second. But oh. she's also saying that like people in her life know more. They just don't know that they know. Right. And they're taking her. She's like, I must go to the crash site. Right. As we head to the crash site, Allison claims she's receiving impressions from Mora, who she says is no longer alive. Allison is relaying these impressions to us. She was like her dad, because she was like a daddy's girl. They'd both like give anybody the shirt off their back, or just like salt of the earth, nice people. Here's my thing. Mm -hmm. If Mora is giving her impressions, why can't Mora just tell her what the fuck happened? Right. Why are the dead always so goddamn cagey? Mora, girl, what happened? We got you in the car. Tell us what happened. Uh, Now, some people will say because they can't. Uh Uh-huh. And so- It's like against the heaven rules. No, I don't know what the 
God's like, are. here's what you could do. You could give them mental pictures of bridges, but don't you dare fucking tell them what actually happened. Look, do you want the dead to be able to be like, hey, bitch, <laughs> patting you on the shoulder? Look, be careful what you wish for. It's true. You it's do true. not want that. You want a little bit of a veil here. You want a little bit of a curtain where they can't actually be like, bitch. Game We'd be show. haunted day and night. <laughs> So they're at the crash site, and Allison like starts to feel really sick. I feel really sick here, and um, initially I wanted to think that that she got in the car willingly, but it doesn't feel willingly. It doesn't feel amicable um, here, or I wouldn't feel as sick as I feel right now. So that's important. And then Allison's like, well, it feels to me like Maura got into a car thinking that she'd be going to a place with a bunch of friends. Uh-huh. And then she realized that when she got there, it was actually like some kind of like. Yeah, it was like a setup. A, a setup. So now Allison says something no less than four or five times. Uh-huh. She says one word. Uh-huh. The word is rapey. <laughs> it hit. I mean, I, uh-huh. I was uh-huh. like, she what? I rewound I it a hundred times. I know. <laughs> So it feels like it was something that may have been more date rapey gone wrong. And she says it. She's cavalier about it. She She's is. Like, it's very like date rapey gone wrong. I, I was know. like, if it's date rapey, it's already gone wrong. <laughs> yes. There's no such thing where a date rape goes right. <laughs> unless the dude is murdered. But right. it's all bad. <laughs> Everything about it is bad. Right. Wrong. Like, what are you saying? Right, right. So basically, by the end of this, what the psychic is saying is that, like, here's where you're going to find Maura's body. you got to find a bridge that's just outside the search zone where, mm-hmm. like, the cops had been searching for her. Right. It's at the end of a dead-end street where only the locals go, and they go there to, like, party. They either go there to drink or to get in trouble. Right. So it's what just feels like um, where her, where the evidence is, I'll say, is... Um, just outside of where they were looking. Like, she's not much further than where they were looking. So now winter has turned to spring or whatever, and right. Allison's back, and they're going bridge hunting. Right, so uh, Maggie and Art have researched and Oxygen approved these three bridges. Yeah. And so they're like, bring Allison there and see if she feels right. anything. Can I just say, Allison is not into it. Which I kind of love, that Allison's like, I don't like any of them. I'm feeling nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. They go to bridge one, bridge two, bridge three. She's like, she's not here. She's not in any of these she's bridges. She's like, this one's creepy. Not creepy <laughs> enough, though. This one kind of looks like it. Mm, no, not feeling murdery for me. Like, And good for her for yeah. not like trying to just be like, I knew I was right. Uh-huh. I, I kind of uh-huh. re- respect that. Yeah. 100%. So th- that was a psychic. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> so you guys, we're back to the Maura Murray boys. <laughs> We are about to go on a caper with my Maura Murray boys, Lancey and Timmy. So they, remember the coordinates? Yes. I cut a lot of this out of the first episode for time, but basically, James Renner at one point had been emailed these coordinates, like longitude, latitude coordinates. In a very threatening way, like, stop looking, she's right here. Yeah, and then, like, it was very weird, and, like, Lance and Tim were going to go, but then they felt, like, threatened, so they didn't. So, like, now, Maggie is like, you know, we've crossed out, the police aren't involved. We don't think the family's involved. We don't know about this psychic. So she's like, the only thing we have left are these coordinates. She goes back to the Maura Murray boys. And they're like, all right, look, like last year we decided we were going to like hike to the coordinates. They got, they made a reservation in Lincoln, New Hampshire. They get this tweet like the day of like that they're going to go on the hike. We got tweeted a penny. The year of the penny was 1982, which is Maura's birth year. The tweeter was like a skull and crossbones logo. And the more we looked at it, the more it started to come together. This was the day before we yeah. were going to stay Lincoln in Lincoln. Lincoln is on the penny, and it, the the year on the penny was Moore's birthday. And Which is creepy. 
The tweet came from an account that they could not get any information about. Right, and apparently so they had like a hacker friend look into it, and it's like, no, this, this guy's for real. Yeah, like, whoever he, he is. doesn't like, want you to find him. You're never going to know. So the boys canceled their trip. They're like, it might be a trap. We're not going to go. Right. Enter Maggie and Art. They're like, right. <laughs> you guys, we're going. We're going. They're like, this we is- have oxygen money. We're right. going. Exactly, exactly. So they, they make a trip. So now it's Maggie and Art, Lancey, Timmy. They're all in the car. They're all driving up to the mountain. And the boys, they get another email. This shit is fucking crazy. It says, stop looking again is the subject line. It says, since Renner didn't get it back in 2014, maybe spelling it out will help. Good luck. And then he puts the coordinates again. Wow. That's bizarre. Yeah, the thing about this email is that, like, everyone is like, I didn't tell anyone that we were going. Like, the only person that that email could be from would be from somebody that they somebody knew. Someone on the crew, probably, of Oxygen Network. But it comes from the same email as the one that James Renner got. And it's like, mm. how, like, who is listening? How are they spying on us? This is, like, really super creepy and scary. Well, as James Renner says, everybody in this case lies. It's true. So they show up at the base of the White Mountains, you guys. They tell us straight away. It's going to be a 15-mile hike to these coordinates. Well, Dustin, the trail guide. Are you in love with him? Okay, they should. We meet Dustin, and they explain to Dustin, like, what's going on. We wanted to come here before. We uh, attempted it, um, but we got sufficiently spooked out. We didn't know if there was a trap yeah. set for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope there's no traps. Every time <laughs> someone tries to come here, it seems like uh, this uh, mysterious emailer returns. Huh. Like it, today. So the guy sent you the same... Coordinates again today. Yes. Yes. It really is creepy. Yeah. (laughs) And Dustin's like, what? Dustin's been explained by the PAs and signed release forms. Exactly. You guys don't fall for this. (laughs) He's not just like, oh, well, yeah, no, I think I can take y'all. He knows exactly what he's doing. But like Lancey and Timmy are like, it could be a trap. We might get killed. We might find information. We're going to have to call the cops and get a helicopter in to get this, whatever we find up there. So it's a 15-hour hike. It is elevation of 6,000 feet. I just love where it's like time elapsed, 32 minutes. And you hear the Maura Murray boys talking. Everyone's winded. Cool. The same. I, the, no shade on this. I would be two minutes in. I'd be like, are we done yet? Same. Are we there yet? Are Have we you there seen yet? Me? Where are my vodka wine? I know. And then my Lancey is like, cannot stop talking to this guide about how hard would it be to drag a body up here? <laughs> so we've just been kind of analyzing the process of bringing a body to these coordinates. Bringing a body up here is like a challenge. Do you put it on like a sled and drag it? Yeah. Pretty hard. But also the thing is, like, this is a gorgeous sunny day. Not full of snow. Right. Not like, not the conditions where Mora went missing. Yeah. It's like a beautiful April morning. Uh-huh. And so after all of these miles and all of these hours, they're like, <gasps> It's time to go off the trail. So the coordinates are not on, conveniently not on the trail. They're oh, like, of course the- they're not. <laughs> After seven miles of trekking into the wilderness, we're about to go off the trail into deeper woods with more treacherous terrain to the exact coordinates. And so everything is just like, it's supposed to look like it's all like handheld cameras. Uh-huh. It's really Very not. Blair it's Witchy. Stage. Totally, yeah. totally. They get to the coordinates and crickets <laughs> and then suddenly it's all this like these jump cuts is like wait is it do you see it do you see what and it's this like this cacophony of like maggie and art and lancy and timmy and dustin do you do you what do you see it do you see, do you see it? did you hear about hugo and kim it's all like this ridiculous like so dubbed what'd you find something there hold on right there here lancy making this out can you see it i think i see it hold on nah not here? Oh my god. 
is a bright green something down there. One of our, our more and more boys are just like, no, nah, it's nothing. It's just a tree. It's just nature. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally a tree. It's actually nothing. No evidence, no trap, no mora, no information, more question marks. Can we talk about how ridiculous it is to drag two podcasters into the nature? Look, I'm not doing it. No. <laughs> Again, this is no shade. These boys are, I think they are the cutest boys in America. Right. But every shot of them, they're like hunched over, breathing deep. At one point, Timmy is just like, there's a shot of him. He's got a mosquito net over his face. Girl, same. I know. I would have 100 SPF. I know. In case a little bit of sun happens to even smell me and try to get near me. 100 SPF, no question. Like, my combat boots on. I, I would know. be Maggie, of course, looks like a zillion bucks. I know. From I know. beginning to end. I know. Not a hair on a what, Whatever primer she does on an eyeliner, girl, <laughs> give me your info. Um, but it's like, not a, she's just like, what? oh, what? I know. I know. Oh, or did we reach the top of the mound with no coordinates? She's like, it's like she had, had little birds and, and squirrels helping her up there. She's flawless. I know. Every step of the, the trip. I know. I know. I know. I, I would be a combination of Tim and Lanta and, and, and Art, just like, <laughs> How do we? Can you pass the? What, what do we have? Who who has who has a stash? <laughs> and my I, my eyeliner would be. It looked like I got punched in the face because my eyeliner would just not hold up. I'm telling you, I would have made it a third of the way. Lancey oh. and Timmy made it the entire way. I would. I've been like, you just know, leaving. what we would do. We'd be like, we're gonna go this way. Turn around, head to the bar. Totally. We're gonna. Totally. We well. Uh, one of our doggos has a scent over there. We're gonna follow it. We're, we're going drinking. I really feel like I would just look at the rest of the team and be like, "You go. I can't save yourself. You just save yourself. Just leave me." So whatever. We come down off the mountain and nothing. There, again, no answers. Nothing. But the DNA is back. The wood chip DNA. Exactly. So it's human. It's from two people. Yes. And she says like one of them potentially could be Mora. You fell for that. I do- <laughs> I totally fell for it. And then, of course, it turns out that it's completely useless. It's like, <laughs> it's like, how is that? How can you legally, as a doctor, be I like, <laughs> it could be Mora's? And then it's like, actually, we have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. Chuck West of New Hampshire's Cold Case Unit told us that since the sample of blood taken from the wood chips is so degraded and the chain of custody so unclear, that it would be impossible for them to identify if it's Mora's blood. It could literally be the blood of almost anyone. And so it would never be admissible in court. So that turns out to be a big nothing burger. And then. <laughs> With extra cheese. I, so then, you know, Maggie and Art go to see the Murrays. And this is, we're wrapping it up. But apparently, some good news, I guess, is that the cops are starting over and starting to re interview everybody. Yeah. And so, like, the, the whole. People kept saying that they were reopening the case, and they weren't because the case was never closed. Okay. But what they're doing is they're establishing task forces, and they're, according to the, like, the end of the episode, they're really taking another hard look at the case. Law enforcement's re engagement in Mora's case is promising. The state has even agreed to give us a piece of evidence that they've never before released publicly. The ATM footage. And then we see that ATM footage. It's really sad to watch the family watch this. It's a series of shots taken every three or four seconds. So it's not like an actual video. Right. That's Mar. Do, do you recognize that jacket, though? I don't. Yeah, I don't either. I don't need to, Mara. Oh, no, it's Mara. 
And the dad is just like looking at, oh God, this broke my heart. Yeah. The dad is just like watching it. And you can see they're watching it over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and you know, the dad, it kind of ends with the dad just being like, Mara knows that we're pulling out all the stops. Come on, kid. We'll find you. We're coming for you, kid. Like, that just... I mean, I have a daughter. It just... It killed me. Right. It killed me. Yeah, absolutely. And also, Maggie ends with, like, this this voiceover of, like, look, we didn't get any answers. And this is no shade. Truly, yeah. like... Yeah. They didn't get any answers, but maybe if there's good that comes out of this, it's that people realize that there are 70,000 women missing Uh huh. and that maybe someone will think, oh, maybe I have information on this case or information on another case uh-huh. or just awareness on the fact that women and people are missing. That and, and the fact that like maybe now like somebody will watch this who does know something about right. Maura specifically and, yeah. and they'll come forward. Yeah. So anyway, there we are. Fun. It's a comedy. <laughs> oh, you guys, we hope that we're going to see you Saturday night at the Wilbur with Lance and Tim and Maggie and a special guest. We're not telling you anything else about it. Yeah. I mean, who? I don't. Wait, what? Yeah, we're going to have a blast. Yep. Just about 100 tickets left for the live show. Our first live show back after quarantine. I'm going to be out of my mind. I know. I haven't had a drop of alcohol or coffee. I'm saving my voice. Oh, boy. Well, which means that you're going to just explode when you get on stage <laughs> with a mix of alcohol and coffee. Great. I know. Fun for the whole family. But actually, yeah. Speaking of which, my whole family's going to be there. My sister, her husband, the nephews, they're all coming, you guys. They're all. Oh. Oh Daisy boy. will be selling merch probably at the merch table. It's going to be bananas. It's going to be a family affair. Let's do it. So go to truecrimeobsessed.com, click on the CS Live link, get your tickets, and we'll see you Saturday at the Wilbur. We will see you. And I I don't know. I don't know about you. I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say. Yeah, but- I have some theories. I have some, I've learned a lot in these couple yes. years. There's a lot yeah. going on. <laughs> 